So, hey everyone, welcome to the pilot episode of Battle of the Bulls. My name is Michael, I am just a college foodie that loves eating, and I am here to talk to each of my friends about their own, you know, likes, dislikes, and philosophies about foods. So today we've got Chasen. Could you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Chasen. I like to think of myself as a professional eater. Um, I eat, in fact, every single day. Uh, (laughs) And I think that's a really big part of my life. Um, And yeah, I like to travel around the world for food. And pretty much most of my life revolves around food. That's that's about it. Awesome. So today we're going to be focusing on Eastern and Western foods. Now, the idea behind this was as a first episode, I wanted to, you know, tackle this really, really big age-old question of which is better or maybe perhaps why each is special on its own. Um, Now, Eastern and Western foods is very vast and obviously it's impossible that we try everything today, but to represent it, we've got uh, a local favorite for those of you living in Vancouver. Um, We have spaghetti and meatballs from Trattoria followed by Zapoli paired with a Malbec from Argentina. It's called Finca Los Primos. Um, Jason, you want to tell us about our Eastern food? Yes. Yeah, so for our Eastern food, uh, we got a fan favorite, Pad Thai, from a local favorite, um, Thai basil. A mm-hmm. uh, very popular place with students, and um, we all love it. We also have some nice Thai iced tea, mm-hmm. another classic, refreshing, good on hot summer's day. And we have some mango and sticky rice. Perfect. So now, as you all can see, we have two very delicious meals right here in front of us. Um, Chasen, which one do you want to start with? I don't know. That's that's kind of tough, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I guess um, you know. Let, let's start with let's start with the Italian food first. All right, yeah. let's start with the Italian food. So here we have a uh, like I said, spaghetti and meatballs. But this is a very special spaghetti and meatballs, right? Because it's got like ricotta on it, and these are just homemade meatballs. Yeah, it's definitely they put ricotta. I think it's like an herb ricotta on top, which is quite impressive and then lots of herbs different things Mm -hmm. definitely more fancy than the typical you know american red sauce yeah yeah. dinner joint it's not your olive Um, garden yeah exactly (laughs) i mean i love olive garden sorry olive Olive garden's the best (laughs) (laughs) Mm, that's a good meatball yeah if you're listening to this podcast right now and you do not have any food and are getting slightly jealous Go out and get some Trattoria. They um they do deliver through DoorDash as well as pickup. And for those of you listening around the pandemic, they are just opening again for dine-in. So, mm-hmm. wow, it's really good. That's really really good. Now, when we looked up what wines go with the spaghetti, it said, um. South American or Californian wines. So here our Malbec is from Argentina. And I've never actually had a Malbec, but Chasen, would you like to tell us a little bit about what this is? Yeah, so I, I've actually taken a wine course. Mm. So actually, in fact, I'm taking two wine courses. Qualified. So I do know a bit about wine. Um, Malbec is one of the uh, a French varietal. Um, originally comes from Bordeaux, one of the six main types of uh, varietals that can be used in a Bordeaux blend. Right. Um, no, Bordeaux blends are usually quite full-bodied. Um, a lot of like, um, usually cherries, um, dark red fruits, uh, aromas and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I believe this one's from Mendoza, right? I think it says Mendoza on there. 
um, which is a very popular place in Argentina to get wine from. Uh, Argentina, it was a very good like value for wines in general. Um, that's pretty much all I know about this one, to be honest. Let's well, just see. from the smell of it, it's it's pretty aromatic. On the bottle, it says that you should get hints of cherry. To be honest, for me, it smells like wine, but I'm sure <laughs> it does taste like cherry. Yeah, no, there's definitely some cherry, some oak in there. Wow, I really like this. That's quite nice. Yeah, I really like this. Okay, like... You know, us being college kids, a lot of people do binge drink wines, but I feel like this is something you can actually just enjoy, enjoy oh, on its own, you know? Yeah, there definitely is a difference between those bottom, bottom shelf wines and something a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a little behind the scenes for our audience here. Another wine we were considering is a popular university fan favorite, the <laughs> Barefoot brand. <laughs> <laughs> I've had it many times. Many times. <laughs> In pretty big quantity. <laughs> okay, so how do we want to do this? Do we want to just dive into dessert right away since we're trying all of the... Try to finish up the Italian first? Yeah. Okay. Honestly, yeah. maybe that's what we should just do, but... Yeah, let's try it. Let's, uh... A lot of, uh, powdered sugar on these ones. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so for those of you who don't really venture out in terms of Italian desserts and only really settle for the tiramisu or the affogato, a zapoli is kind of like a beignet. Or like a really massive, airy donut hole. Yeah. yeah. No, and I think that brings up a good point of how so many, even when we're comparing different places, there is so much carryover yeah. in different places. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, like, yeah, like something in America is very similar to something that you can find in Italy. Mm-hmm. Oh my oh god. god. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. So you can't tell right now, but Chase and I are both pretty <laughs> bewildered. <laughs> delicious. <laughs> I was not aware that we were so filled with chocolate. I did not. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to try to describe this to all of you right now. This is a really, it's like, it's a crispy cream donut hole caked in powdered sugar. And I've never had a Zapoli like this where you bit in and it had a molten chocolate center. It's almost like a Zapoli mixed with like a lava cake almost and, and like with the chocolate just like oozing out. Yeah, this is ridiculous. That's really good. Mm-hmm. Man. Mm. Now that I've tasted more of the chocolate, I'm glad to find out it's not like americanized where it's just so sweet Mm -hmm. it's got like a distinct dark bitter flavor no definitely um it really balances out well Mm -hmm. that's the thing with the darker chocolate you do balance out the sweetness a lot better i find Mm -hmm. wow that one's ridiculous that was really good (laughs) okay i'm even more excited for the eastern food now the eastern food yeah this was a great start start Let's see. Okay, so here we have pad thai. Um, I think we chose pad thai not only because it is a noodle dish and spaghetti is a noodle dish, but also because pad thai is representative of many Asian cultures. Like, I get it's called pad thai, but the fact that it is a rice noodle. Definitely. Right? It shows that it has connections with, okay, let's see, which countries do rice noodles? Vietnam does rice noodles. China does rice noodles. 
Um, Korea does some form of rice. Rice cakes, which cakes. is similar, yeah. Yeah, a lot. So yeah, it's it's very interesting. And you know, I've had the pad thai tamarind from Thai basil before. It's ridiculous. Let mm -hmm. me tell you, this is really good. And the ones with the tamarind are the authentic ones, mm -hmm. rather than some places use some sort of tomato base. Yeah, um, but tamarind is really the way to go because it has such a unique flavor. Yeah. Now, to get a good pad thai, you want to make sure to get the ones that aren't like abnormally orange. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right? if, it's, if it's really orange, it should almost be a brown color. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. really. But I think you brought up a great point with the the concept of both are noodles, mm -hmm. but one is rice and one is wheat. Both yeah. are like staples from each place. Right, right, right. Right. And so you're looking at like how how the basic staples have evolved over time into some just, like mm -hmm. interesting creations. When they start out as just like, you know, a flat bread, just a plain wheat mix yeah, of water yeah. and it's thrown onto a hot stone to something like spaghetti and meatballs. Uh, and the way that they've been able to to modify these things into something so interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's totally true because rice is a staple Asian ingredient. Mm -hmm. Staple Eastern ingredient. It, it covers more than just Asia, quote unquote, right? Rice is eaten all over the world. It's really. eaten all over the world, but I would say that a lot of Eastern cultures have really mastered how to manipulate rice. Definitely. You know? um, yeah. Because there's just so many things you can do with it. And then uh, wheat is a very Western ingredient. Besides bread making and things like that, you've also got so many different kinds of pasta. Oh, countless. So many different countless. kinds of pasta. And it's not just Italian, which is the coolest part. Yeah. No, and that's the thing. And the fact that both places have noodles, both based off their staple grains yeah. or staple foods... It's super interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm. I'm going to have some of this Thai's tea. I'm a huge Thai's fan. Thai's tea. Thai tea is always so good. Now, I don't really get what they do with Thai's tea because to me, it's so orange. Mm -hmm. How do you get an iced tea so orange and to have such a, like, it's such a unique, unique flavor. It's not like bubble tea, right? It's not like, like English, like, breakfast with yeah, cream just you know? black tea yeah it's i don't i don't even actually know exactly do it. it to me it's almost like it's almost equivalent to, it's almost like thai version of like chocolate milk right? yeah you know? yeah Where yeah it's, it's like much thicker and rich and it's just so full flavored in general yeah i don't i still i have no idea how they do it would you consider it a dessert no you honestly you can make it a dessert right like in the same way that you could treat a bubble tea as a dessert yeah you could treat yeah, thai as tea like dessert and so on yeah, yeah, yeah. speaking yeah. of dessert <laughs> I want to dig into that mango sticky rice. Mango sticky rice is one of my favorite things of all time. So it, they come with it separately, and I'm guessing it's because Thai basil wants to, you know, keep the ingredients fresh. But you've got coconut milk, mm -hmm. and it's, like, kind of salty too, right? Salty yeah, usually milk. a little bit, yeah. You've got sticky rice and fresh-cut mango. Now, you can't see this right now, but this is not canned mango. This is, like, <laughs> a very fresh-looking mango. It's like a half mango on a plate, essentially. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> um, now, these three ingredients sound pretty basic, but I'm pretty sure if you were to combine them, it'd be absolutely delicious. Yeah. No, it really is. The first time I ever had this dish was actually in Thailand at a street food in stall. Oh, so in you had the, it for real. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I never actually heard of it until I went to Thailand. Um, oh, yeah. I went to Thailand, I think, in grade 9. Grade nine. And I, I remember we were at the street food stall and they were saying that they had, we had to get the, the sticky rice with the mango mm -hmm. and it's changed my life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now I've been to Thailand once before too, 
But when I went, I was pretty young, so I still wasn't as adventurous with food. So I had like your regular like pod CEU and or like I don't know like a yellow curry or something. Yeah. But I w- I wish I got to try this in Thailand. That reminds me of when my brother we went to Italy mm-hmm. uh, when I was in I think I would have been grade two or three. Yeah. And my brother only ate margarita pizza the entire time. Oh, Every yeah. meal was margarita pizza. At that point, you're just missing out <laughs> on something, you know. He's gotten better. <laughs> okay. Let's let's try this. Let's see. Just thinking of that. Oh my god. So the first thing I get from this is that it's not as conventionally desserty as the Zapoli over here. Oh definitely. But it has like the most perfect balance of sweet and salty. And the texture, like if you guys like squishy foods, the texture is really nice. That chewiness to the rice. Yeah, it's is, so good. It's so good. The one thing is you do need to have ripe mango. If, yeah. you, if you don't have ripe mango at all, I would not get it. But yeah. mangoes are in season right now. Yeah. So, I, yeah. it's it's What I find so interesting about it is how they treat rice in a sweet manner, you know? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. so often in the Western world, we just think of rice as a savory dish. Yeah. I'd say the only exception would be maybe rice pudding, but I don't even know where that comes from. Um England? England, maybe? Is it, yeah, it sounds like... Pudding sounds like a British. <laughs> but um, but even that, that's not a very popular thing. Whereas in some Asian countries, it's a very popular thing to have rice in a sweet manner. Same thing with, like, for example, like mochi in, mm-hmm. in Japan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that brings me to the next thing, because this is not as distinctly a dessert as the Zapoli. And it's getting me thinking, is, when it comes to pairing, is... Dessert even a concept when it comes to Eastern cooking? That's a good question. Because the sea rice and mango, you'd almost treat it as like a snack. And that's what a lot of, you know, sweet dishes in Eastern Asian countries or Southeast Asian countries like represent, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's like, I myself am Chinese American. And I can say from my own cultural background that nothing sweet is really a dessert. Right. It's either a breakfast item in yeah. the Chinese culture or it's a snack. Yeah. Yeah, I think Western cultures have very much, like, focused on the idea of that you have a meal, you always, like, have an appetizer, a main, and a dessert. Mm-hmm. Whereas I don't think it's always that linear everywhere, you know? Right, right. Which right. I kind of like. Although there are some Western cultures that do treat it differently. Like, the French often do cheese, you know? Right, like, like, the, like the fruit plate and cheese. Exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, which is one of my favorites. I love a cheese plate too. I love a cheese plate. I am very allergic to dairy, but I will <laughs> take an L every single time to eat some of that fucking cheese. The ricotta is one of my favorite parts. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now that we've tried everything, let's kind of dig deeper into how the hell this ended up here. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really interesting because when you look at both meals, what really stands out is that you have a entree, mm-hmm. a quote unquote dessert, mm-hmm. depending on how you look at it, and a drink. Right. But the fact that these are even here shows that we've planned out a meal according to like our Western upbringing. Right. Definitely. Right. But for other people, like, especially, especially this pad time meal we've got right here, this could be three different things on its own. 
Oh, yeah. Whereas, you know, if you're eating Italian food, you wouldn't regularly just have Zapoli on your own without anything else. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, as a university student, we all binge a little, so maybe I'd have Zapoli on its own, <laughs> but a normal person wouldn't. Mm, I think it's also really interesting to note that in a lot of Western cultures, their meals are usually paired with some kind of alcohol. That's true. That is very true. There's definitely a lot of alcohol pairings in general. Mm-hmm. Um, like wine pairings at restaurants is a very common thing. Right, right. Like you'll have multiple different types of wine for each course, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's very interesting how that happens. Yeah. Um, I think, I actually don't even know how that originated, but like just the idea, I guess maybe it's just because Western cultures really like to drink. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, like <laughs> from... All the Eastern alcohols I know, I do know that Eastern cultures don't have mixed drinks as often. Right. Right? Like, if you think sake or soju or, like, uh, like the Chinese, like, baijiu or anything. Like, okay. all of these are very fermented, mainly rice-based liquors. And, sure, they're eaten with a meal. Mm-hmm. But it's not as common as you know, wine for an everyday, like, normal person. Yeah. And definitely, yeah, mixed drinks are not common at all in Eastern cooking. Yeah. What I find interesting is actually sometimes people have actually even transitioned to more Western drinks paired with some Asian foods. Like, it's not uncommon to have, like, wine at a Chinese restaurant or, The fusion is everywhere. Exactly, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, like, through these pairings, we can see that, like, there really is this like global impact mm-hmm. of the way we eat in general. Yeah. Um, like, like, especially if you go to like a more hip and trendy, let's say Asian restaurant, right? Like for those of you in the Vancouver area, there is a chain of restaurants um, called, you know, Kingyo, Raisu and Suika and things like that. And they have taken a really modern fusion twist on Japanese cooking. And what they've done is they've taken like the purest sake they have and they turn it into a cocktail. Mm-hmm. Right? Or like they take plum wine and they add they add something to it. Yeah. And it tastes really good. But it's it's like the concept of a cocktail, I think, is Western. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm pretty sure. Um like most of the the cocktails that we know today are actually like quite a recent invention, usually from Europe or the US. Right, right. Like most of the ones we know. Mm-hmm. Um and so yeah, no, definitely yeah, like mixing these drinks with other like juices and so on, mm-hmm. or other alcohols even, right? Mixing two alcohols together. That's like an interesting concept. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I definitely think that they, a lot of people have transitioned to using like these like Western things, mm-hmm. but but in a way that doesn't isn't necessarily Western, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think that speaks to a lot of food in general also, like how we, so many things we've actually just adopted into our own, our own meals. Right. Um, well, I mean, that's the essence of food. It's like food really does reflect where people go and what people do throughout time. Right. No, exactly. Yeah. Cause otherwise food wouldn't be exciting at all. If you take a look at just spaghetti, tomatoes are not native to Italy. Exactly. At all. No, they're a North American thing, South American thing from somewhere, somewhere. Yeah. yeah. And it was brought to Italy. Yeah. They're, most of Italian pasta isn't even bread sauce. Yeah. That's a, that's the thing. Usually right. yeah, tomatoes are a later addition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I read somewhere that when tomatoes were first introduced to European cuisine from the new world, 
it was used as a table decoration. Did oh. you know that? Oh, fun. Okay. People thought that tomatoes <laughs> tasted like water. Right. Which, you know, some of it is true, but it makes a great sauce. Yeah, no, that's actually so interesting. <laughs> the fact that like so many of these staple foods in actually, especially I'd say like in Western foods mm-hmm. are from other places like potatoes, corn, right? Potatoes, corn. Yeah. Like two of yeah. the most common things that we have in all Western food. Yeah. Those are both South American ingredients. Yeah. And yeah. so it's, it's amazing. Like, I guess it does have to do with like the whole like colonialism and stuff and uh-huh. just bringing stuff over. Uh-huh. Um, but it's definitely, it's definitely interesting how different cultures have incorporated things in such different ways. Yeah. Like you look at the French, they have like a million different ways to cook a potato and yet yeah. they didn't have the potatoes until, until South America was found. Right. Mm-hmm. And the craziest thing is to even further you know, follow this idea of globalization in food culture. Like, so many ways of cooking potatoes that the French have now perfected was didn't even start out French. Right, definitely. Right, like, by no means am I saying the French have perfected French fries, but <laughs> French fries are Belgian. Mm-hmm. And then you have, you know, the potato chips, scallop potatoes. Actually, this is a great idea for next episode. Potatoes, <laughs> yeah, just potatoes, potatoes around the world. Potatoes are great. There's potatoes, <laughs> and then I know there's eggs because you can cook eggs like fifty different ways. And eggs, another thing, everywhere in the world yeah. uses eggs, yeah. and that's crazy because mm-hmm. I believe chickens are native to Asia, aren't they originally? Makes Probably. Sense. I mean, I, animals make it all over the world, but yeah. um, I think they originally were. Yeah, and so like another thing, like yeah, the French, the French love to take one ingredient and really just like go all out with it. Yeah. Yeah. But then look at look at the Italians with pasta. Mm-hmm. The same thing. Millions of types of pasta. Yeah, it's like of preparations. Have you ever thought about whoever invented the second kind of pasta? Like he was <laughs> probably just thinking, what if I took this and I made a different shape out of it? Yeah. Because a lot of pastas are more or less the same ingredient, whether or not it's like just wheat or buckwheat or I don't know, the health nuts nowadays are doing quinoa. Yeah. But like at the end, you still have just different shapes is the main differentiator between pastas. And I think the ways in which these shapes are made is so interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, like for example, I was actually making pasta the other day mm-hmm. yeah. and I uh, made two different shapes. I made angolotti and I made um, something called capetti, which literally means like little caps because they look like little priest caps. Oh, and it's a fun little thing. You little, little cap. Well, there is your uh, <laughs> biblical reference. <laughs> <laughs> And so, yeah, it's uh, just the way that, that they were inspired for all these pasta shapes is really interesting. Yeah, yeah. So then, now that we've looked at, you know, where these foods come from, where they might go, I think we both agree that food overall is going to become more and more fused mm-hmm. and hard to distinct from. But um, now that we've explored all of that, I think it's really important to think about I mean, it's the it's the age old question. Which one do you prefer? Oh, that's see, that's the thing. That's uh, that's the hardest part. Yeah, and there is the fucking lesson for you, my audience. <laughs> you can't distinguish which one is better, because yeah. obviously we have two meals right here in front of us, and both are. I mean, both are noodle dishes, but if you look at their history and their ingredients, it is so different, right? Like, even if there are noodle dishes, you can't really compare at the end. Yeah. 
and the way that they're approached in general, like yes. the way that they're made, like the ideas behind creating each of these things is so drastically different. Yeah. Yeah. I like, like, so like pad thai is like, it's like sweet, sour, Mm-hmm. salty sometimes spicy sometimes spicy mm-hmm. this one's not particularly spicy but yeah thank god i can't handle spicy. <laughs> <laughs> um whereas like this like spaghetti meatballs which it's is supposed to be like very soul foody exactly and like it's actually because it's an italian american invention right, right uh which is like super interesting in itself mm-hmm. how that all developed but it's so hard to say like which is better because they were just created for different tastes and different reasons they really were yeah. And so, like, yeah. And like you said, the desserts are so different, right? Like, yeah. the Zeppeli are, are made to be eaten at, after meal, basically. Mm-hmm. And then this, this the sticky rice and mango can be eaten at any time. It can be a meal on its own, if you ask me. You right? could. Mm-hmm. Honestly, if you put enough rice in there, and you get, like, six mangoes. Yeah, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. mm. Yeah. It's, it's very tough. And... We're lucky to live in a world where we can have both of these on the same table at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's the whole idea of this podcast. Hopefully today we've provided a great direction as to where this is going. But later on in this season, you know, we're going to look at more specific dishes maybe and cooking methods and concepts and see, you know, where are the similarities where are the differences and what makes them really, really, really unique on their own. Yeah. 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 And we can even look at that with these, like, because like they're both noodlishes, right? Mm-hmm. And so like comparing these two noodlishes, they, they both have a sauce, mm-hmm. um, which not all noodlishes do, but a lot do have a sauce. Right. But then for the example, the pad thai is stir fried. It's stir fried. It has a sauce, but it's ridiculously thin. Exactly. It's a thin sauce and then it's cooked and it's like cooked all together. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Italian style, the it's mixed in exactly, it's mixed mm-hmm. together later. Yeah, which is a completely different concept. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when it comes to mango sticky rice and the coconut milk, right? It's the idea is freshness. Yeah. Oh, definitely. You know, the idea is freshness. The idea is like purity, I mm-hmm. guess, because these are such basic ingredients that really do complement each other. And then. When you look, on the other hand, at the Sapoli, you'll never think, oh, this is fresh. You'll yeah, think, no, this definitely. is rich as hell. You know? <laughs> it is delicious. So, it really... It's, it just fits people's desires, I guess. People in different regions wanted different things, maybe because of the environment, maybe because of their culture. But now that we have it available in the modern world, it's really just a whatever you're feeling kind of thing, you know? Well, you're, you're right, because, like... The thing is, like, in Thailand, there's so much fresh fruit available all year round, right? And in Italy, there is a lot of fresh fruit, too, because it is the Mediterranean, but it's a lot of, like, oranges and stuff, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so I feel like as a result of just having so much fruit and so much tropical fruit, they they felt like they didn't actually need to do too much to it, right? Whereas in Italy, I guess you could eat an orange after a meal. But but an orange is an orange. An At orange the end of the day, you can like what juice it exactly. Maybe turn it into a sauce, and that's about it. Exactly, and so like it, it has its place. And oranges are great; they're a great snack. Yeah. But uh, but there's just not that variety of fruit that you can have on its own. Yeah, I think. And yeah, it's really interesting to explore that how different places, the different ingredients they have available, has really influenced what they've made. Yeah. Like. I think we've explored a lot of really, really cool themes. Mm. First of all, the environment was definitely one. Yeah. 
environment and its influences on food. Um, we've looked at how different cultures approach a conventional three-course meal. Definitely, yeah. Right? Like, sometimes dessert might not be what you think. Um, sometimes a lot of different things can be meals on their own. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that there is a multi-layered, you know, structure to a meal might not be a cultural idea for everyone. Yeah. And we've also looked at, you know, individual dishes and compared how they were made, how they're similar, how they're different. Mm. We also took a look at different ingredients and how do you, they're used in different places yes. differently. Yes. Um, and like how we approach every single, honestly, it's every single aspect is approached so differently. Yeah. And I think that's what's great about this podcast is it just has, it's a, you can approach any single part of a meal mm -hmm. and you'll notice similarities and differences everywhere. Yeah. Which is so cool. Yeah. And I, I think one of the most cool things about this whole thing is the fact that there are similarities. You Globalization. Know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's just so, it's so deeply rooted though that we wouldn't even know yeah. that they're the same, you know? Yeah. And, but it's also, it's also just human preference, I think. Yeah. I you know, relating to that, like, I don't want to sound like a artsy, like nut right now, but <laughs> food, I, it's my personal philosophy that food really shows the creativity of humans. Oh, definitely. You know, like, I know that humans are considered like a more evolved species and everything. And this may be true depending on how you look at it. But as of now, we are the only species, to my knowledge, that appreciates taste when it comes to consumption. Mm -hmm. You know? And I think it's really cool how we have been able to turn some simple raw ingredients into more than just sustenance. We've turned it into art and we've turned it into, you know, entertainment, mm -hmm. recreation. Like the fact that cooking is considered a kind of chemistry just blows my mind. Oh yeah. Wow. And the things they've done with it too. Yeah. Like a whole molecular astronomy thing in cooking is just fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think one of the things that drives this, like the evolution of cooking though, is just the fact that humans in general like to eat so much. Yeah. And that's something that's so consistent around the world, right? Mm -hmm. Humans everywhere want to make food that people want to eat. Yeah. And look at restaurants. People want to buy it. If, if we think of eating as an art form, I think I spend more on this, this art than any other type of art in the world. I know? agree. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. And I'd probably be more willing to spend money on food yeah. than most other types of art, right? Yeah. You, may, you might buy like one painting per year, but you're going to be eating every single day. You buy one. You buy one painting a year. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't. I don't have enough money for a painting yet. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, I don't own any paintings currently, uh, and if it was, it would be a print. I think. Uh, but it's it, and that's the thing is it's accessible too. Yeah. And that's that's really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think this was pretty good for a pilot episode. I think so. I think it's going pretty well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, I think, I think it's a very good combo because it's, it, they are so vastly different. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know yeah. about you, but, uh, I really want to dig into the rest of this. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, this has been battle of the bulls. Thank you, Chasen, so much for talking to me today. Thank you for having me. Um, this experience. was Eastern versus Western food tune in to the next episode to see what I'll be eating next. <laughs>